You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in, if you'd like to leave a message for the show, please feel free to do so. Phone number here is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We don't have any new callers at this particular time, so let's kick it off with Steve. Morning, Grandmaster Pack. What up? Steve up in Alaska. A beautiful sunny day. We we were in our second day of summer. It finally like cleared out and got warm, which it got warm real fast, and everybody up here is really crying about the fact that it's in the 80s because it got like 20 degrees hotter within like a day and a half. Yeah. But that's uh, neither here nor there. I'm going. Uh, I just got done listening to you go through the uh, way too early 53 man roster that you set up. Yep. Um, I, I personally thought everything seemed pretty good for what you were picking and from what you talked about going over the t- different players and their stats. Um, the one thing I would say you kind of questioned having six guys that were keeping along the defensive line that that might be a little bit heavy. Uh, I, I, you know, I personally disagree, especially. if we can shade one or two of those guys from what would have been an offensive position over there. Um, I think defensive line kind of historically is a, is a position where you're going to lose two to three guys early in the season, i.e. within the first five or six weeks to the injury because that's where all the, the rough and tumble happens. They're big guys. They get rolled up on, you know, knee injuries, ankle injuries, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've always thought we've been kind of light there and we'll lose a guy or two and then we're struggling on the on the defensive line. So having a little more depth there, I think, going into this season would be good. And especially being that they were all pass rushers that you were talking about, um, you were a guy that really pushes the fact that pass rushing is more important than yes. – or pass defense is more important than run defense. Yep. So having extra pass rushers, I think it would be a good thing. Um yeah, but other than that, I think, yeah, you did a, you did an excellent job of going through that. We'll have to see, of course, what happens. There'll be injuries. There'll be cuts from other teams. We might pick up some guys. Uh, I know everybody doubts that ever happens, but I've, I've seen it happen. Guys get cut and another team will jump on them. Um, my, my one question for you. All right. Hold on. Before we get to another thing, first of all, 
And I don't remember exactly what I said, so maybe I'm just lying right now, but I, I don't think six is too many. The issue isn't that it's too many. The issue is I, I don't know that we're fulfilling our, or, you know, I don't know. Let me see. I don't know. I don't think I want less than six, although whatever. But I think it's more of a question of are we fulfilling our obligation to get the best 53 on the team? Um, I think aside from having more depth, I don't know that we're doing that. I mean, five are locks, right? Um, it's really just a question of who do we like outside of that? I know Chris Slayton's starting to pick up a ton of uh, hype as far as like, you know, I think... Um, Brian Gutekunst in the press conference mentioned Chris Slayton, and uh, I think it was Aaron Nagler had made a point of that, that that was the one person that was brought up unprompted and that he had a good offseason last year, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we'll see, but I, I feel like we've got Kenny, who is, in my opinion, a big question mark, Slayton, who is purely a run defender that's not very good at run defense, Wyatt, who really wasn't a super good football player last year but showed flashes and hopefully can be a little bit better, then you have a fourth-round rookie who is an edge rusher playing defensive tackle. You have a sixth-round rookie who is an edge rusher playing defensive tackle. And Jonathan Ford, who I don't think... I, I mean, To be completely honest, when I watched him in college, he's a seventh-round pick last year. I remember watching him thinking... I mean, he, he is a big, massive nose tackle that I, I, I genuinely just don't feel like there's much hope of him becoming a quality defensive tackle. I hope I'm wrong, but whatever. And, and Chris Slayton... Maybe, I don't know, but um, I, I, I just don't feel like we have that many people that I have faith in. At all. I don't know if I have one person that I have faith in on this defensive line. There are two people that I think you can make a case that can be good football players in Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt. Um, TJ Slayton has to be better than what he was, and even then he's just a run defender. Um, and then two, uh, a mid-round and a late-round rookie, I, just, I struggle to have a ton of faith in that. So I, I don't have an issue with six. I, I just have an issue with who the six are. And, and you know, if we add even a, uh, if we have a six or even add a seventh for the sake of depth, I, I don't know that we're adding. I don't, I don't think the adding is making us better. I just think it's just more bodies for the sake of bodies. However, that, that pass rush point you brought up, I really think is, is central. And I haven't talked about that enough. As we've talked about the running back side of it, um, we're, we're also not discussing the other implications of that, and one of the major ones is Packer fans' central focus is run defense. I don't think the Packers give a crap, and I, I think we need to stop giving a crap, to be completely honest. I know it's frustrating to, to be run against, but I think the Packers recognize the trend. That's why we put two edge rushers at defensive tackle. That's why we got Devontae Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt's a pass rusher. Colby Wooden is an interior pass rusher. Carl Brooks is a pass rusher. And then we have nose tackles to try to mitigate you know, some of, you know, so that they can take up more space, whatever, and TJ Slayton and Jonathan Ford. But the guys that are on the ends, they are pure pass rushers. And I don't think the Packers care. And I don't think we should care nearly as much as we do. If we can force a team to become one dimensional to where they're, because they, here's the lesson if teams say, hey, you know what, we can't pass against them because they're the number one pass rush team in football and they have elite lockdown corners, but we can run against them because they're really weak, we're going to win every single game that we play pending our offense being able to score points you don't win in the nfl by running and in fact teams will not come into that game saying we just need to run all the time they're not going to do that because they know that you can't win football games that way and so i i think it's worth at least exploring that in terms of 
the Packers, I don't think, are as focused. And, and again, you, Quay and Devondre have helped in that regard, but Quay and Devondre are way better coverage guys than they are run defenders. They have great tackling ability, and if you can get that two-way ability, that's great. If we can mitigate the damage done on the ground, that's great. But again, even much like running uh, the, the running back conversation, you stop the run so that you can cover, right? I mean, if, they, if they're putting themselves, if they're able to run the ball on first down and get eight yards, you're not going to be playing much coverage, right? You're, you're, you're making yourself susceptible. But if you can rush the passer and focus on that, but also still mitigate some of that by having guys like TJ Slayton and hopefully Kenny and some linebackers that can handle their responsibilities. And by the way, this pr- might even have to do with my frustration of the linebackers not being aggressive. If you over-pursue on a play-action pass, you're going to get killed over the middle. So Joe Barry, what does he say? Don't worry about it. You're probably not going to get as many tackles behind the line of scrimmage as you should. And yeah, you're probably going to get hit by a guard and not able to make a tackle, whereas some other more aggressive defenses will. But your number one priority is to make sure that they don't completely fool you. And we don't want you to be susceptible to that. Because as soon as they see you biting down, they're going to attack over your head. So again, as absolutely frustrating as it is, our number one priority should be how good of a job do we do at stopping and disrupting teams from passing? And I think that is the Packers' focus. I think that's blatantly obvious by everything that they've done. Is a question of, of value. Um, is, hold on, I want to phrase it. Are special team skills more important for a defensive player to have as a, as a secondary thing or is it an offensive player to have as a secondary thing? Um, I don't know if you get what I'm saying here, but if yeah. you're going to make the squad and you're a questionable player, does special teams help a defensive guy more than helps an offensive guy in, in terms of their value to add to the team to make that jump in and, and be the number two or number three player in the position? So, all right, I'm going to go. I got to go back to getting prepped and ready for the day. Y'all take it easy. Go back. So there's two ways that I could answer that. Um, one is neither. It doesn't make a difference, right? If, if, you're, if you're not going to make it as an offensive or a defensive player, um, but you are a great special team, it, it, it doesn't matter whether you're offensive or defensive. It's just it's, special teams is its own thing. So I, I guess another way to look at it, if I'm Rich Bisaccia and I have one more spot left for special teams and I have two players that are exactly equally gifted as special teamers, would I go with the offensive or defensive person based on those two things? I wouldn't, and I, I don't see a reason why you would. Now, on the flip side, again, you'd have to kind of rephrase the question, but I think it's a more valuable tool for a defensive player because it, it really has a lot to do with blind aggression, right? A lot of it is that, that um, lack of care for self when you fly down there and just try to kill somebody. You know, they talk about all the time, you know, there are certain people that are cut out for it, and most, most are not. That's mostly a defensive ability. Now, you, you could say that that's true for offensive players in terms of return men, right? To, to have that lack of regard for yourself when you're catching a pass as, or catching a punt or kickoff as, as people are bearing down on you. And then, of course, that shiftiness and what can translate to being a wide receiver, etc. But I think for the most part, the biggest thing that's going to translate are these guys that I want as linebackers and as safeties in particular, which is just coming downhill with blind aggression and just laying somebody out. So I think special teams ability, and there's a lot of different jobs, but as far as jobs that translate, that's the thing that makes the most sense to me is special teamers, people who are good on special teams, maybe getting a priority on defense, not just because of special teams, but because, hey, I know that you have that ability in you. Let's see if we can build on that.
And so maybe for that reason, if I had to choose that exact 50-50 scenario, you take the defensive guy, not for the sake of special teams, but for the sake of, you know, maybe somebody that can use those skills to become a defensive player. You know, maybe they can make the the that jump onto the roster. In other words, it might be a higher percentage chance a defensive player becomes a, a defensive special teamer, becomes a defensive player as opposed to offensive player. Hey, Ryan. See you again. Uh, quick follow-up, because I was listening in uh, the Packer the, Net after dark. Um, the follow-up on the meatloaf thing. Okay. Uh, I saw you looked at a recipe, and you were, like, cringing about the, the onions and the chunks of veggies that they're putting in them. Yeah. What I do, and my suggestion to you, is I eat- By the way, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure when the stuff I grew up on and loved had onions in it. It's just you know I want I want it thin and you know you can't really see it you can kind of see it but it's not no I just don't want these big old massive chunks of things that are gonna crunch when you I hate when you eat it and it crunches I don't want it's meatloaf bro meatloaf it's a loaf of meat you ever eat ground beef that crunches before no so don't put onions in it you just dehydrated onions yeah they're small and they give a lot of flavor good idea um and then you don't end up with that big chunk you get the onion Love taste it. without the big chunk of onion. Um, also, she use that more often because I, I don't, I, especially one of those things as I get older, or whatever, I'm, I'm starting to appreciate it. By the way, it's why I love making Italian food because no matter what I'm doing, it's like just throw some garlic and onions in a pan and let that sit there for a while. It's like that's all I want to do. I'm not even, I don't even need to eat anything. I just want to smell garlic and onions sitting in a pan because that just smells amazing. But um, yeah, I don't like eating onions. I, I know that probably doesn't make sense to most people. My dad's the same way. He always orders like burgers with onions and takes the onions off because you want the flavor, but I don't want the friggin' onions on it. You can find them. They're harder to find. Dehydrated uh, bell pepper. Okay. You can add that in. That's Fair also enough. a good taste. Um, but uh, most of what you see, people try to do all kinds of crazy things. Salt, pepper, garlic, actual minced garlic, not yeah. garlic powder. Yep. Like I said, the dehydrated onions, dehydrated bell that. pepper. Um, you have, uh, since you have an affinity for uh, season mixes, you could always... Use a season mix. Okay. Um, and then instead of breadcrumbs, like they say, I use panko. Panko's delicious. Um, which is, if you don't know, it's like an Asian breadcrumb. It's very small pieces. That. So they're almost like rice. It's Japanese style is what it says on the box. I got a box right here. Um, but they're small pieces like the size of rice. So you get the effect of the breadcrumb without having big chunks or having to like grind it up and break up the, the, you know, the breadcrumbs or the croutons or whatever you're going to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, panko, dehydrated onions and bell peppers, and then you can use whatever seasoning mixes you want so your meatloaf can taste like whatever you want. All right, then that's all I was doing, just checking back in, giving that information off. See ya, bye. Learned a lot of things there, but I think the most interesting thing I learned is that panko is Japanese. I had no idea. Panko are Japanese breadcrumbs made from steamed crustless loaves of bread that are processed into flakes and then dried, resulting in large flaky breadcrumbs that don't pack together when coating food, so food stays crispier longer. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Japan. Ryan, Kyle from Madison. What up? All right, I have two questions. One short Packer question and one, <laughs> well, I'll get to that in a second. Okie doke. Quick Packer question. I'm listening to your roster breakdown, and I don't understand why, like maybe you can help me here, but okay. why aren't we using... Josiah Deguara. Like, I just, I don't understand. And, like, I look at the film, and he's got all the tools. Uh, he fits 
a role in this offense. And I, I don't understand why he's kind of neglected. So that's my first question. Second question is, um, well, there's two things that come to mind. I actually was just listening today to, uh, John Meerdink's podcast from a few days ago about tight ends or whatever. Um, and one of the things he mentioned is Rodgers and Josiah never seemed to get on the same page. He was always annoyed with Josiah DeGuara about something. I've never noticed that, but I'll I'll put that out there into the universe for those that either noticed it or uh, want to accept that as a thesis. Um, the other thing I'll point out, and and I'm I'm with most people that I feel satisfied with what I'm seeing from Josiah in the little glimpses that we see him. With that said, PFF does not like him at all. In his three years here, his grades have been 56, 55, 57. He is the most consistently irrelevant player we've had in a while. Now, you know, the complete lack of usage, especially in the receiving game, might play somewhat of a part in that. Um, you know, it's probably hard to make a... a Here's one of the thoughts, and it's one of the things that you could use in terms of a a negative as far as the PFF approach. And it's not even so much a negative in terms of like, this is what they're doing wrong. It's just an inherent negative in any process trying to accomplish what PFF is accomplishing. In other words, I don't know how you fix this. But I thought about this when I was thinking about A.J. Dillon, because he seems to do better the more he plays. But I think that's probably true of most people. If you think about Aaron Jones, if, if, if he has a player, any running back, Let's just pick running backs. If you have two plays of 20 or more yards, that's going to be massively positive, right? How often, it doesn't even have to be 20, it's, it's a question of how often do you grade out positively? If you have a 10-yard carry once every 10 tries, but you get five tries a game, it's unlikely in that game that you had that 10-yard carry. So the less likely it is that you make a positive impact. And yeah, you, you could say, hey, you're out there for one snap and you catch a 20-yard pass. You're going to have a great grade. But I just think it's, it's less likely that you're going to make a big impact if you're not out there very much. Especially when, you know, if we're not going to utilize you much, then you're not going to be a big part of the game plan, which means you're not going to be utilized in a way that is going to be positive for you. But excuses aside, he's never even had a 60 overall grade. He just hit 62 for his receiving grade for the first time, but the last two years, his pass-blocking grades have been in the 30s. And if you look at his week-to-week grades, it's 80, 50, 50, 40, 70, 80, 50, 50, 50, 40, 50, 70, 50, 50, 50, 60, 50. The guy lives in the 50s. So, yeah, maybe if they get him more acclimated, kind of find more creative ways to use him, which I doubt is going to happen. I don't think you draft Musgrave and Kraft and then say, okay, let's let's build this offense around Josiah DeGuara, right? No, Musgrave is the priority, and Musgrave and Kraft are the priority over DeGuara, and I think you got guys like Watson and Aaron Jones that are the priority over Musgrave. So Josiah stays down low. So, you know, I I, I have generally been satisfied in the little snippets that I've seen of him. But the reality is the people that have watched all 126 of his snaps on the field have said that he has not done a very good job. And I, I'm, I'm thinking of probably four or five plays in my mind that I liked out of his 126. And, and it's been 403 snaps 
over the course of three years, and he's never had a positive grade in any of those years. So I, I, I tend to think what we've seen is not really going to change. Um, I, 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 that isn't to say he's on the way out necessarily. I still think that there is a role that is unique to Josiah DeGuara, DeGuara for Josiah DeGuara. So they're not just going to dump him because, well, he's the third best and we, we want to... There, there needs to be somebody specific that can do Josiah DeGuara's job to fill that sort of H-back role. But I do think if he doesn't fulfill that this year, they may start looking in that direction. They might start taking mid-round swings at tight ends and fullbacks to see if they can take that role and do it better than what Josiah has done. Um, number one, because you, you, I don't think you lose a ton, unfortunately. You, you know I've been a huge fan of, of his what he could do for this offense. But uh, I don't think you lose a ton if, if you swing and miss. But you also have a much higher upside if you actually find that real um, threat, which would be crazy if, if you know, I, I have no idea what's going to happen with Musgrave and Kraft. They, mu- they both might be complete garbage. But it'd be kind of wild if we had three pretty good tight ends on the team. But, um, yeah, th- those would be my, my only two thoughts. Again, one, it, it's been observed by others that Josiah and Rodgers were not on the same page. And PFF has watched him for three years and has never been impressed by him. Marriage related. Oh wow! Okay. As you know, got married. So this is a this is a little marriage advice question for those of you guys and gals listening. Maybe you can chime in that have been married for a while. Okay. Don't so we've reached the point me. now, me and my wife, where it's like, okay, we each have we have a joint account. Yep. Nailed it. And then we each have a savings account. Okay. And then I have a, you know, my own personal account. And my wife's like, yeah, we should make that a joint account, too. So my question is, how has that gone for everybody? It, should I be holding out, like, to try to keep one of my accounts, like, just mine? Or is there going to be a committee meeting, like, in the future every time I buy a USB cable from Amazon or a Red Bull or something? I, I'm curious for the married folks. Like, what's been their experience with combining bank accounts? Like, does that end up being a thing that's a problem? Not, I'm not, like, hiding some escort or something on during business trips, but I'm just, like, is that going to be a pain point for me? Should I hold out as long as possible? Just curious what the veterans out there, uh, how that went for them, if they have any advice for me. Um, Ryan, you too. Uh, always look to you for... For, to scare the hell out of me about becoming a parent someday, and so I really appreciate your advice on this as well. All right, thanks. Bye. So I don't know, but it seems to me, which surprises me, but I believe I am massively in the minority here, my wife and I are, because we don't have separate accounts for anything. Um, there's different, like I, I have a PayPal and she has a PayPal, but I mean, we have uh, the passwords to each one and that's not her money or my money. I mean, it's just, I can't buy whatever I want out of my PayPal account. That's not how that works. In fact, PayPal is basically just funneled into our checking account so we can pay our bills. So there is no my money, her money. It's our money. I think that's, in my opinion, that's what marriage is. It's you go from me and her to us. I also, first of all, I think you're playing a really dangerous game. I'm not sure, but I believe the number one cause of divorce is over financial issues. So it's it's just playing Russian roulette when you start not being able to come to agreements on money and instead say, you know what, you have yours, I'll have mine, just don't worry about it. I know that's not entirely what you're doing, but I, I, I guess I don't really fully understand the point of it because the only reason anyone would have their own account is I want to be able to make decisions financially that you do not agree with 
but I don't want you to be able to have the authority to tell me no. That is a disaster for a marriage. And you could say, well, no, it's not about disagreement. Well, it has to be, because if it wasn't, then you could just take the money out of your joint checking account. The problem is we don't want to make the... We don't want to do the hard thing and come together as a married couple and, and make decisions on what's best for our finances. The other really negative thing is you're setting yourself back. Rather than combining finances and having this one mega Goliath thing that we can attack things responsibly with, which includes retirement and savings and paying off debt and even saving for big things like vacations, instead we split it in half and we're each arguing or we each have our own little tiny bits of money. And of course, we want to do selfish stuff with it. I don't want to combine that extra income and put it towards something responsible. I want to spend it on whatever I want to spend it on. Maybe you're saving for a vacation. I don't know. Depends how much extra you get. But I, I, just, I just personally don't see the point in it. And I think it's, it's just a dangerous thing. Maybe your spouse is pretty laid back and just won't care. But it's just so much easier to just combine the money sit down, do a budget, and say, here's how much money we have. We have to deduct this for bills. We, we really need to pay off debt. Here's how much we need to set aside for debt. And we should be paying extra on that, not just the minimums, or we're going to be stuck in debt the rest of our lives. In fact, we should probably take as much as is humanly possible and throw it at debt, which is, again, a thing that's much easier to do when you just combine the finances, because then you have a bigger number that you can just throw at it. But then as you move down the list, you, can, you, you look at, okay, how much do we spend on things that are needs but are flexible, like groceries? We don't have to spend two grand a month on groceries. We can cut back or, or whatever. But then also you can agree if you want. You can just say, how about this? Let's set aside 100 bucks a month. 50 for me, 50 for you. And, and it's just our own fun spending money. You can make that decision without having a private account and just says, don't worry about it. Don't look at it. For an institution that is entirely based on trust, that is such a terrible decision, in my opinion, to say, don't worry about what I'm doing over here. And again, there is no reason to have a, a, a separate account other than to say, I want to be able to make decisions without you saying no to me. And that's just really not how marriage works. It sucks, but that's just kind of how it goes. And, and again, you can make up whatever rules you want in a joint account. You could say we can spend whatever we want, or we, we have to talk to each other on purchases over $100, which of course is like, it's not the best thing for my wife and I, because I don't spend money unless it's on big items. She never spends money on big items, but she'll spend, you know, we'll have 17 Amazon pa packages and they're each like 20 bucks each. Well, they were, I don't talk to you about 20. Come on now. You know, I don't go out to eat she'll take the kids out to eat and we got $300 worth of, you know, fast food. And it's like, well, it wasn't $100. So that wouldn't necessarily work for us. We just have to come together and say, look, th th here's how much we can spend on fast food, you know, whatever. You, th the point is you got to navigate some stuff and figure it out. And maybe for you guys, that means split accounts. I just can't think of one positive outcome from any kind of split financial things. I just, I just don't. I don't see a positive outcome there other than I get to spend money and she doesn't get to tell me what to do. Which again, if that was the case, then just don't get married. <laughs> so much easier when you're not married to just say, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know, we're dating. We get to do all the fun stuff, but you don't get to push into my finances. That's, that's my problem. You, you mind your own business. But once you get married, that's all her business. And you're basically just asking permission to be able to hoard some of it to yourself and tell her, mind your own business with her money. Because that is her money. You're married. And if you don't believe me, get a divorce and try to tell the judge, no, 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 I'm just going to take my money. She doesn't get any. Guess what? That ain't going to happen because it ain't your money. It's our money. And she's going to get some of it. So, I mean, just, just really think about it. Why do you want to do that? You said it's about not about something bad. Okay, then why don't you just go to your wife and say, hey, I want to buy a video game. And if she says no, oh, well, <laughs> 
That sucks. She'll start saying yes when you start saying no to all her crap. But again, it's, it's about, it's not just about spending on me versus you. It's just about values. Like, what, what do we use our money for? Do we, do we want to put savings away? Do we want to save for vacations? Do we want to, you know, be able to go out to eat and do these kinds of different things? And just talk about it. And if, for you, it's like, all I really want is to be able to have, like, these little things every, every month, and then I'm good. You know, I, I want to be able to set money aside so I can go golfing, or I want to go fishing. Talk to her about it and work that out in the budget. And if there's not enough money, then I, that's just, that just sucks, I guess. So, again, I'm in the minority. You can talk to probably 90% of people out there like, oh, it's great, we do it, we're so happy, everything's wonderful. If you're looking for ammunition to use against your wife, that's fine. All I can do is tell you my process and my thought process on it. And again, I don't see a single positive for your marriage, for your finances. The only thing positive is, hey, when I spend this, I'm not going to get yelled at because she won't know. And just say that out loud and think to yourself how terrible that sounds as a sentence to say out loud in the context of, of being married. So, sorry I couldn't back you up there, but, um, you know, again, there's plenty of, plenty of people out there with split accounts and they all love it. Just talk to them about it. Hey, Kyle from Madison. Hey. I wanted to get a rant in here Do also. It. And my rant is about Madden, the game. Okay. Uh, like I've said before, I have a 10-year-old nephew from Germany that I got hooked on, the Packers. He's, he's all about it. And as 10-year-olds, well, and 40-year-olds often do, they want to play video games as their favorite teams. And yeah. I, I gave up on Madden many years ago. Um, but between my nephew and then also this conversation that we've been having about these systems uh, and the play callers podcast coming out, you know, I thought, hey, you know what, maybe I'll give it a shot again. It'd be kind of fun to just see if I can learn some things about some of these offenses, maybe, you know, just to simulate things in Madden. And I am just so freaking disappointed. I know the new game comes out. I think it comes out next month. But it's so frustrating because I'm not the biggest gamer. I don't have time for that. But I like to hit the sticks, you know, once a month or something. And I just am so frustrated that there isn't anything better. You know, EA and and the NFL and their cash grab on this is just crazy because the potential for an NFL video game, you could do so much more. I mean, these, these, they just reskin these characters a little bit every year. Otherwise, nothing changes. The penalties are just random, which I guess that's accurate. But (laughs) there's no innovation whatsoever. It could be so cool if they had more legit, you know, simulations of offensive systems. Yeah. They could do so much. And maybe I'm dating myself here, but I remember the 2K NFL series. And I I think NBA 2K is still a thing. But I think it went from, like, the late 90s to, like, maybe 2004 or five, and it was branded with the ESPN announcers. That was an awesome game. Uh, that was an awesome game. Like, it felt really tight. It was none of this ball-on-a-rope garbage where you got to hit triangle at the right time, like Guitar Hero or something. Um, and, and you could even do, like, first person. You could run as Amon Green from his point of view. Not totally practical, but at least kind of an innovation and then, of course, the NFL and the NFL said, no, we're only going to give one license to whoever pays the most money. And the game has not, in my eyes, changed one iota, except for a little bit of polish on the graphics once in a while. And I'm frustrated about it. And I needed to complain to somebody because nobody else 
in my life really gives a rip about my Madden rant. So, thank you for the opportunity and for caring. Bye. It's the problem with Monopoly. You know, competition breeds innovation. There's no competition, there's no innovation. That's what happens. You give all the power to one company, and they know that they just recycle the same crap, and everybody's going to keep buying it for the same price every year, and there you go. That's, that's all there is to it. And the second that that changes, the second that they start, you know, mass marketing. And, and by the way, I, and I, I, I'm probably wrong. I mean, the, if the NFL is good at one thing, it's making money. But I'm actually surprised that they don't open that up to more. I'm sure you can charge a lot more when there's just one license. But do you know how many companies would try to break into that market if they opened it up? You'd have 15 different NFL games. And Madden, it, immediately, here, here's, here's the other thing. Just you, you could split the price in half and just offer two licenses. You, you allow one more company to step into that market, and you watch how quickly Madden innovates. That next Madden that's coming out is going to be like a Madden you've never seen before. But yeah, unfortunately, that isn't the situation. Everybody wants to pretend to play football. It's a fun thing to do. I, when I played Madden, that was, I always would play it like around this time of year because I, I just, I'm jonesing for it. I need that. So I just, I'll, I'll pop in probably Madden from like four years ago because I didn't buy the, the new thing every year. But I'd pop it in. I just want to be the Packers and I just want to play as the Packers and just kind of scratch that itch. So people want to play, but, but you can provide a better option, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's an entire market. You think about all the different kinds of games. I mean, yeah, it's in the sports category, but I mean, you think about, um, you know, like the, the, the simulation category, like for example, these city builder games. I've got like three of them on my computer right now. It's basically the exact same concept, just repackaged in, in different ways with different, you know, th- and some of them are awesome. And I just bought one recently. I freaking hate it. It sucks. I don't, I don't like it. But wouldn't it be so much better if you could do that with the NFL? And the answer is, of course, it would be. Like, dude, have you tried... Uh... Well, plus, you, you, the other cool thing is you wouldn't just have better versions of, like, serious football stuff. Because you, you would have completely different... You, you'd have more niche things. So, like, Madden probably wants to stay right in the middle. So you, you wouldn't really get... Like, I've got this other game. I've, I only played it, like, once because it's, it's a little bit too dry even for me. Sorry, I opened Steam, and uh, apparently it really wanted to show me that video of a game, which I just recently bought. But anyways... It's called uh, Front Page Sports Football, and it's really just like being a GM. But of course, they can't use the Packers or anything. But you'd get like some really granular stuff where you could be the GM or, you know, some really high-level stuff in terms of schematics and everything else that not everybody's going to like, but the people that do are going to buy the crap out of it. Then you'd get the other end of the spectrum where it's like the, uh, remember those football games? Um, Man, there was the one where it was like you're actually like, like death ball or something like that. I know there's NFL Blitz, which is dope, but they had all, all different kinds of, of these things. I'm, I'm just saying, you'd probably just have a smorgasbord. Is it smorgas or smorgas? I don't know. I think it's smorgasbord. It feels like it should be smorgas, though. But whatever. The, the, the point is, it, it just... And, and well, I, I think there actually probably was more of that innovation back when you did have more NFL-type games. Now, what, what other options are there? I don't even know because I don't have an Xbox or anything like that, but are there a bunch of other NFL options that just don't use the license? I mean, you can't call it NFL. What do you even call it? American Football Slammer Jammer? Somebody actually should come up with something like that. I, I know it would be kind of tough because people want to be, you know, they want to be the Packers and they want to play as Jordan Love and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like it could still be kind of cool. But again, you can't compete with the Titan that is Madden.
but yeah, I don't I don't see that changing unless Roger Goodell gets replaced with somebody that says, you know what, let's just open this up. Unless unless an Elon Musk type figure gets in there and says, you know what, this is stupid, let's open it up. Not because it makes good financial sense, just because it's the right freaking thing to do, you know? This is how it should be, so I'm going to go in there and fix it. And I don't really care what people think, and I don't care if I pay too much for it. I think my X thing is cooler than that stupid little flappy bird, and so I'm going to put my X up there, and everybody can just get over it. You get somebody like that that gets in there as commissioner, but but nobody will because people have to vote. The owners vote, and they're going to vote on somebody who's going to make the most money, and that includes somebody that's going to license the NFL games to EA or whatever for 60 kajillion dollars. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break? Um, please remember to check out grassfedcooperative.com. Use promo code PACKER10 with a capital P. Or you can support the podcast here at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Jeff uh, from Minneapolis calling. What's up? Um, hey, I, I've been hearing people calling in with their predictions for next year. I usually wait, but I guess I'll join in here on that. All right. Uh, I'll preface all of this by saying that I'm extremely excited for this season. I think the most excited I've been, one of the most for sure, as a Packers fan, and I'm about to turn 52 years old. So I've been nice. following them for a long time, um, and I'm just I'm very excited for the season coming up. Um, I think where 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 this falls for me is that uh, offensively, I'm excited about Jordan Love. I think he can be average to good. Uh, based on the, the little I've seen. Sure. I think the players love him. They love his leadership style. I think Aaron Rodgers was a terrible leader, certainly towards the end of his career at least, the last three seasons. Uh, I'm not going to miss seeing him moping on the field, whining, and acting like a little brat and baby. So I'm glad he's out of town. Uh, so I'm excited. I think that's going to bring a good locker room to the team. I think that stuff helps with winning. Uh, however, I do think they're young, and I think, you know, you, there's been a lot of talented teams that have been young and they've had to take their lumps, so to speak. I think when the Dallas Cowboys made that trade with Herschel Walker to the Vikings and got that massive haul of talent, uh, it took that team time to build into a championship team. I think their first year they were one and fifteen, and then like six and ten, maybe. I'd have to go back and look, but they struggled early. Um, I'm not projecting the Packers to be uh, a one and fifteen team, but the real issue for me with this team 
is on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not even a player. It's actually Joe Barry. And um, this, to me, falls on Matt LaFleur's hands. I mean, he's not going to wash his hands clean, clean of this one uh, if this doesn't work out because he's decided to stick with him. He could have had Vic Fangio for crying out loud. Uh, but instead, he decided to stay with Joe Barry. And Joe Barry in Washington, um, his DVOA, I think his first season was a 21 ranked defense. And then he managed to get worse. He got a 25th. And he got fired. And then the very next season, Greg Minoski, not exactly the uh, best known defensive coordinator in the NFL, but he was promoted to a linebacker coach to defensive coordinator in Washington, and he went 11th. He took that defense that Joe Barry had. Maybe a couple new guys there. Yeah, that's possible. But he went from 25th, the Joe Barry 25th ranked defense, to 11th. Joe Barry prior to that was in Detroit, as we know. And he had a 30-rank defense in Detroit, DVOA, and managed to get worse there and went to 31st the following season before he was fired. Um, he's never had a good season. Uh, we look at the Packers. I think there's this, this, this idea out there that the Packers improved as a defense last year. Yet if you look up their EPA, it actually dropped the last 10 to 18 games. And you can argue over Sean Gary was injured. Yeah, I'm sure that had a, an impact on that. But the bottom line is the truth of the matter is the defense actually did not improve. Uh, that down the stretch there. It actually got worse if you look at EPA ranking um, through the first nine games compared to the last. Yeah, I'll let you continue, but, I mean, the it's it's not necessarily down the stretch. In, in other words, splitting it right down the middle. It's specifically after the bye week, and it, it very much improved. So, like, for example, if you look at DVOA, they rank 17th in the first half of the year. They rank 17th in the second half of the year. And, again, it's a very small sample size. I'm just letting you know my specific point on this is not that they got better as the season went on it's that they were a bad defense and then after the bye week it seems as though something clicked and they were a significantly improved team and if you look at their defense they actually ranked third after the bye week again it's just four weeks but you know we're talking a quarter of the season and ranking third considering you were nowhere near that um, in fact let's look at everything aside from that so they were 23rd Prior to the bye week, they were third after the bye week. So, anyways, just wanted to clarify that. You got cut off by the three-minute mark. I'll let you finish your thought. Ryan, Jeff, again, uh, I got cut off there. Um, the last week, 10 through 18 is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so, it, 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 they got worse. He hasn't had a good season in Green Bay, as we well know. I don't need to go through all those numbers. So, uh, logically speaking, we talked about a guy like Justin Fields not being able to throw a football. We look at other teams. We're able to critically say, hey, we've seen this. We know what we've seen. Well, we've seen with Joe Barry that he isn't any good. So why should I believe that suddenly Joe Barry, with all this talent I hear that we have on the defensive side of the ball, should be good and that our defense will be good next year? I just can't buy it. I have to go with what I've seen from this guy. I don't think he can coach. Um, I wish I could say something differently here as a Packers fan, but I I was just irate with uh, the decision to keep this guy around, and it made no sense especially with who was out there. Um, Evero was out there, too, and he's had better success. He had better success in Denver than, than uh, Joe Barry has had. So uh, all that said, I'm going to settle on, on 7 and 10. Um, it's not because of Jordan Love. Uh, I do think there's going to be some growing pains with the young team. I just think that's part of what happens. Guys are learning how to be NFL players. Um, and even guys year two, you know, they're still growing, still developing. It took Devontae Adams, what, three or four years before he really – started to emerge as a receiver. So I'm just trying to temper all of that, uh, just based on my experiences watching the game, having coached games, just my experience playing, all that stuff. I'm just trying to take a step back and say, ah, 
Okay, let's just let's just be realistic about this. Um, I would be if we had Vic Fangio, I would be probably predicting us to be a, a potential, probably a playoff team and have a winning record. But I'll go seven and ten. Thanks for all you do. I'd love to hear your comments on my comments. Yeah, and I, I certainly I can't convince anybody about Joe Barry, nor should I. I mean, it's it's his job to convince us, not my job. Um, I mean, he was a long shot from the beginning. I mean, he he came in with a lot of experience, and none of it was positive. Yes, he understands the scheme. Yes, he's intelligent. Yes, he's a likable guy. All that stuff. But where's the track record that shows that you can improve a defense? I don't think it's anywhere out there, right? And so that's what happened when he came in here, and nobody really liked the hire. Then in 2021, we had a not-good defense, right? Then in 2022, we had arguably a worse defense. So this is year three with loads of talent. Why should anybody believe in Joe Barry? I don't think anybody should believe in Joe Barry. And with that said, I, I, I do have a couple things that I would just mention. And it's not necessarily in defense of Joe Barry. It's just trying to broaden our thinking on things. Number one... You know, at some point you have to commit to something and see it through and see if you can make this thing work. And that's what they're trying to do with Joe Barry. If we just fired everybody that didn't pan out, we'd never have a defensive coordinator, right? Like I said, Vic Fangio, it wasn't until year three or four that that defense actually became a really good defense and he became the very well-known figure. Like the When did he get hired by the Bears? It was 2015. So 2015, 2016, 2017. It wasn't until year four that they became that elite defense. You say, yeah, but it wasn't that bad. They always had a good defense. They ranked 31st in 2015, and then they did get better the next year, but they ranked 22nd. So he was 31st and then 22nd. And yes, that's improvement, but those are two years worse than what we've had with Joe Barry. And they didn't fire him. They stuck with him, right? We're trying to implement a system here and get everybody on the same page because we know that if we can get this system implemented, that we can have a really good thing here. Right? we got to train these guys on this system. And they're never going to get trained if we keep turning, turning this thing over. So the next year, in 2017, they ranked 14th. So it's three years. This is the first time they've been the top half. And it's just 14th. So they've never had a good defense in three years. It is getting better, and that's positive. But again, I guarantee you Packer fans will be screaming for Vic Fangio to get fired here. Then in 20, uh, 2018, by far the number one defense in football. And it's not even close. Negative 25.4 compared to second place Buffalo, negative 14. Nearly twice as good as the second best defense. But they had to stick it out, right? There's a lot of guys. We got to get them trained in how to run the Vic Fangio system. We can fire them if we want, but guess what? We're just starting all over again. We're going to get somebody else in here. They're going to try to teach them how to operate within the system, and they're not going to get it. And so we're going to say, well, maybe year two, and then, well, maybe year three. And it's just, it's this whole thing all over again. So I'm not saying that maybe he's just the wrong guy. Maybe that's true. But on the other hand, at some point, we have to exercise patience. We have to make a decision and stick with it. These are not magic bullet things. And the only other point I would bring up is we didn't like um, Joe Barry because of his track record. But we loved Mike Pettin based on his track record. Where'd that get us? Right? Mike Pettin never had a defense worse than like fifth in DVOA, right? Elite defensive mind. Didn't happen here. It didn't work. So it can't just be a reputation based thing. That's why I don't like doing the quarter the, the coaching thing because I don't know who the right people are. 
yes, people have good track records, but they're also in better situations. Denver has got, has, has got a winning culture. You throw a defensive coordinator in there, they're probably going to be pretty good. Same with, look at the 49ers. They had an elite defensive coordinator there, right? So good, he got hired as a head coach, which is rare. Then they, they I think, promote a guy from within. Their defense is even better than it was. Why didn't it fall off? Because it wasn't the defensive coordinator. It was maybe his implementation of a system, and then it was the players executing the system. Now that the system's in place, they can execute it with somebody else. We, we have to get a system figured out, and maybe Joe Barry's not the right guy. Again, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just trying to defend an idea, and that idea is at some point you got to commit to something. Because constantly hiring and firing and hiring and firing has been a failure for us for a long time. We've fired now two defensive coordinators, and we've gotten worse every single time that we've done it. Well, we might have gotten better with Pettin. But again, we were so positive we needed to get rid of Pettin. We got rid of Pettin, and now we're worse. And I'm sorry to inform you, we can get worse than this. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement that I, I was very iffy on bringing Joe Barry back. But all I can do is sink my teeth into, they seem to have gotten onto something after the bye week. Maybe it's just a fluke. I don't know. Let's 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 run it again, right? Because I know if we switch defensive core, I shouldn't say I know, but I'm confident if we switch defensive coordinators, this will not be a good year defensively. And I'm just tired of wasting all the defensive talent. So we're in agreement on that. I just I I want there to be a system in place that works. We know this defensive scheme works. We also know that our players were not executing it well, and they were confused and they were lost. And I think part of the problem is Joe Barry gave up on the system. It was like, okay, fine, you want to play man covers, let's do that. No, dude, that's not how this works. You don't just say, fine, let's try something else. This is what we do here. You learn it, you do it. Well, Jair should be playing man. Tough! That ain't how this works. First of all, nobody plays man 100% of the time. There's no such thing as, as uh, persistent shadow coverage where elite corners just follow the best wide receivers all day. That doesn't happen anywhere, ever. Ryan, Jeff again, Minneapolis. I Howdy. forgot to say something regarding the Joe Barry defense and my concerns with that. Okay. Uh, last year, I think if you look at it last year, he was running a lot of the front with his front that he had. He was running a lot of the same stuff he was running under Rod Marinelli in Detroit. So, uh, whereas I think you look at a guy like Zach Fangio, he is successful because he is so good at putting players where they will succeed and putting them in schemes where they will succeed. And you see that stuff on, on, on tape all the time with, with these 49ers defenses he had within Chicago, too. I mean, you could see what he was doing schematically to put these guys in positions to be successful. I'm not going to name some of these players. But, you know, then we've got this scheme we're running last year that was basically what he ran, what Joe Barry ran in Detroit, which obviously was not a successful scheme. He was running that garbage last year. I don't think Joe Barry puts his players in position to be successful. And to have success. I think when Alexander said, hey, let me man up Justin Jefferson last year. Look what happened. I mean, he shut him down. And, yeah, we got out of that whole quarter zone look. uh, But it was successful. It's like, why? Because we put a guy in position to use his skill set to the best of his ability and what he's best at. So I I think the only hope I could possibly come up with here is that Joe Barry – Somehow gets convinced by Matt Lafleur. Schematically speaking, we need to put guys in different places. Now I'm hearing Kenny Clark's going to five technique over that tackle. You know why it's going to be a three technique 
inside over that guard. And if that's the case, now we're finally doing something schematically different with that front, which that does get me excited. Kenny coming on a stunt down that middle. He's a load. He can push that pocket. So that kind of thing gives me a little hope. But, again, I settle on the history of Joe Barry, the lack of success he's had. I, I just can't I just can't buy Joe Barry. Thanks. Yeah, it, again, very similar to I don't want to hire Matt LaFleur just so we can run Aaron Rodgers' scheme. I don't want to hire Joe Barry just to do what Jair wants to do. If the team decides that's what we need to do, we need to find a defensive coordinator to employ that, period. So we cannot bring Joe Barry in here and say, we're not going to run the scheme that you know how to run. That makes no sense. Joe Barry is purposeless at that point. So I understand saying we need to get somebody else for that reason. Fine. That, that's, a, that's, that's saying we need to run a different scheme. But, but again, I, I don't even know that I necessarily agree with you because, you know, yeah, the, the Justin Jefferson thing I think worked out well. But I, I think that was primarily even down the stretch when um, at the end of the season when um, uh, after things had improved after that bye week. Because I specifically remember they made a conscious decision early in the season to allow him to be in man coverage, he got killed. I mean, he just got tore up in man coverage. Because I remember coming on this podcast and saying, now what? Everybody's so mad at Joe Barry because we need to be in man. You put the guy in man, he gets crushed in man. So now what do you do? And then they went back to doing what Joe Barry wanted to do, right? Which also didn't work. But again, I don't I don't think it's a schematic thing. I don't think it's a man versus zone thing. I, I think it's just an execution thing. And I, and I that is what you describe my biggest fear with Joe Barry is, you know, understanding how a scheme works is not good enough to be a defensive coordinator, right? You, it, it might make you good enough to be able to start a YouTube channel and explain things to people and do film breakdowns. You might be able to get some kind of an assistant role, but your ability to understand it so deeply that you can modify it and adapt it to your, your specific players and, and whatnot is what matters. And, and yeah, that, that also is my concern, is that he really doesn't. He basically is like, all right, well, this is what so-and-so did. This is what... You know, the, the defensive coordinator that I worked under, he ran these concepts, so we need to run these concepts. No, that's not how that works, right? I mean, this is what we hear Matt, and I, I know he knows this, and I know Matt knows this, but we got to see it. Like you said, putting guys in a position to succeed. All I see is Darnell Savage got worse when he showed up. Adrian Amos got worse when he showed up. Kenny Clark got worse when he showed up. Preston arguably got worse, considering his best year was under Pettin. The only thing that we've seen is a, a massive improvement in linebackers. When we got Devondre and he thrived and, you know, Quay wasn't necessarily great, but we've had some other guys step in and do great. But who gives a crap about that? Who would make that, was it, foisty and bargain? Trying to sound smart. I think it's something like that. It's, it's a terrible trade to say, hey, your edge rushers, your defensive tackles, your safeties, maybe your corners are all going to get worse, but hey, the linebackers are going to get better. No thanks. Who's gotten better? So yeah, that, that is my concern. And, and again, all I can do is look at the, the idea that after that bye week, they made some tweaks and it seemed to work really, really well. Those last four weeks, the defense was the only thing working on this team. Well, special teams, I guess. And just hoping that that was that moment where it was like, okay, now we, now we figured it out. Maybe the, maybe the players figured it out. Maybe Joe Barry finally figured out how to put his guys in a position to succeed. And again, I, I, I know people have done some breakdowns on what that change is. I don't know or remember what that is. But even beyond that, you know, because the NFL keeps adapting, whatever we figured out last year may not even be relevant this year, right? 
And and the question is, is Joe Barry that guy? Because that's the other thing. When you hire a coach, it's not just, I want you to employ this thing that's working over there. It's, I want to hire a guy that knows it so well that he can continually adapt and stay ahead of the trends as as the NFL adapts. And I, I you know, we haven't even seen him implement a scheme that works, much less adapt it to modern offenses. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm arguing with you. I'm just trying to pre- present counterpoints to a what I think is somewhat oversimplistic. Let's just hire somebody else because we're going to be doing that every year. But I, I am in agreement that I'm, I'm skeptical at best. If, if this is a good defense, it'll be the first time Joe Barry has ever presided over a good defense. But I, I just, I just want it to work desperately because I know that we're back in no man's land and we're back into another you know, another year of we get excited and then it doesn't work out. And then we start talking about, oh, year two leap, year two leap. I'm so sick of talking about year two leaps that never come. I'm tired of, by the time we find a defensive coordinator, these eight first round picks will be gone and, and you know, retired. So, I mean, it's not going to happen, but I would borderline be on, on, of the opinion that you don't have a full season to get this figured out, right? You're, you're, you're telling me, and and I'm, I'm I obviously can't fire him, but as a podcaster, as a as a fan of the team, he has a very short leash from my perspective. If we get halfway through the season and the defense hasn't improved, he has to go. Period. I don't care if he turns it around the second half. We've been through this already. I'm done with it. I'm over it. We need better defensive performance than this. You don't get a half a season to get this figured out. I want this defense playing at a hundred percent week one. I'm not saying I'm going to give up after week one. Week one's kind of a crapshoot, but. Through four games, we should see something. And we should very comfortably through the first half of the season be able to say, all right, there we go. We got ourselves a defense. If through the first half of the season we're sitting here saying we shouldn't have kept Joe Barry around, that's it. That's it. It's over. And and that does fall on Matt LaFleur's shoulders. You're the one sticking your neck out for this guy. This better work. Brian, hi, Jeff. Hey. From Minneapolis calling you. Hey, I just listened to your 53-man roster. Great job. I Thanks. really enjoyed listening to it. I actually had put together a 53-man roster here. Um, I had QBs Love and Clifford, running backs Jones, Dillon, and Goodson. This has got to work on that pass protection, but, man, I think he could be dynamic. Uh, I've got Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Torrey, Wicks, and Heath. I think I think Grant DeBose is going to the practice squad. He's still injured, so he's starting on the non-injury football list coming into OTAs, uh, or I'm sorry, training camp. So I'm just, I'm just thinking he's too far behind. Uh, I've got Musgrave, Kraft, Deguara, Davis at the tight end position. I've got Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Tom, Nyman, Royce, Newman, uh, Caleb Jones, Ryan, and I added a tenth offensive lineman in Rashid Walker. Uh, don't know if it's going to be ten. Um, Kenny Clark, Slayton, Wyatt, Brooks, Wooden, Ford on the D-line. Um, I'm not sure if Ford's going to make that. But, uh, Gary, I think, starts the PUP. But I know you weren't. I know you didn't say that. So for now, I did. But I, I had that on mine. So for now, I've got Van Ness, Preston Smith, Anikbari, Collins, and Brenton Cox, Jr., the outside linebacker position. I've got inside linebacker Campbell, Walker, I've got Wilson McDuffie and I've Carpenter as the fifth inside linebacker there. Folks starting on the PUP at cornerback, I have Alexander Douglas Nixon. Jean Charles, I struggle with that one, but we'll see what happens with him. And then I've got Valentine and Thomas like you. Um, safety, Savage, Ford, Johnson, Jr., Moore, and Owens. One thing I would say about you having to 
or Dallin Levitt is I just think the value is not there. He played one NFL defensive down last year, and he had a 59.9 PFF on special teams. There's just there just isn't enough to offer the team. Um, if you can't play on either side of the ball, you can only offer special teams. To me, you've got to be just like was that Patriots special teamer that's been just phenomenal his whole career is always in the Pro Bowl for special teams. You've got to be like that level of guy or Devin Hester or something crazy. So I don't have Levin. Um, Anders and Orzek, as you said as well, special teams-wise. Tanud is an interesting guy. I got him on the practice squad, but Tanud, I could see maybe Tanud making that. We'll see how training camp goes, but I think I could see him making that. Uh, but anyways, there you go. I'd love to hear your comments. Thanks so much. Yeah, like, like I said... Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you. I was able to get you that Venmo, so that was nice. I was able to get that to go through. So oh, thank glad you. I could support you. And thanks for all your work, buddy. Really appreciate it. Yeah, the, the um, Dallin Lovett thing, I there have been um, a lot of times that the Packers think a thing that I don't think, specifically you know, when you talk about um, quality of players and whatnot, for example. We can look at, and, and I, I've, I've even said this, he, he doesn't grade out very well on special teams. I don't think the Packers, I think if you were to ask, they would wildly disagree. Um, you can look at the snap counts. I think the Packers have him as like the captain of special teams. So I, I, I don't disagree with you. When I look at Dallin Levitt, it's like he he's, offers nothing as a safety and he grades out poorly on special teams. I don't want him. But from my perspective on what the Packers are going to do, I think they have him as like our top special teamer. I know PFF doesn't agree with that. I think that that's how they view it. I think Rich Bisaccia sees him as a core guy. I think they like his mentality. I think they like his leadership. Even, you know, Rodgers has talked about it, not just the the leadership and the making a speech and whatnot, but just that there are certain people that are just kind of psychopaths. There's only a few people who are able to to charge down a field like that and just attack people, and, and I think he is that guy. So, yeah, from from the standpoint of what would I do, I don't think Dallin Levitt makes it. From a standpoint of what the Packers, I think, are going to do, he is, as I said, virtually a lock in my mind. I don't think there's any doubt in the world the Packers view him as a crucial piece to their special teams and are going to uh, keep him. Now, if that doesn't happen, then, then I mean, it's, it's not going to be a mystery as to why. I'm just misreading the situation if they end up letting him go. But that that is my read on the situation. It's, it's really very similar to how I feel about the, um, where is he? The Justin Holland situation. I don't get it. I could care less if he's on the team. He's a smaller player. I don't think he showed very much. He bounces around from team to team. I think we got enough guys with Rashawn and Preston and Lucas and Kingsley. And, you know, then you can go, you know, Brenton Cox, Ladarius Hamilton, Jonathan Garvin, whoever it is you like. I I don't see it as a necessity to keep Hollins. But my read on the situation based on OTAs is that they are enamored with Justin Hollins. It's, 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 I mean, another example, Tyler Davis. What in the world would give anybody the impression that Tyler Davis should have a job? It's not based on anything we've watched on the television. It's not based on anything PFF has ever said about him. It's based on the Green Bay Packers' seeming obsession with Tyler Davis and and the potential that they see in him and, and believe that uh, they can get out of him. And then Grant DeBose, I, I get what you're saying as far as the injury, and you're right. If he doesn't end up playing, then yeah, I would agree. Um That'll be kind of a wait-and-see thing. Like like a lot of this, like I said, that was kind of preliminary. We'll see as the notes go along where people are. I think if we remove Grant DeBose, Malik Heath probably does make the most sense, although I find that to be 
really tentative. I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think almost all of the Malik Heath hype is based on you know a couple notes from OTAs, which really can change very drastically. I mean, we might not hear his name for the remain. I mean, Bo Melton. If Bo Melton tomorrow catches like two touchdown passes, he's going to be all the rage. I mean, that's how thin, how uh, shallow this whole Malik Heath thing is, or Jadakus Bonds, or Deuce Watts, or whoever. And that'll change the next day when somebody else is the new star, you know? But you're right. I mean, I, I would put Malik Heath in that spot just because I don't really have any reason to put anybody else there. But if Grant DeBose does come back, it's essentially his job to lose, being that he was drafted is just kind of how I was viewing that. So anyways, I appreciate that. I'm going to leave it there. You guys have a good rest of your night. It is finally, finally, finally here tomorrow. Um, I am going to do another sort of Packernet After Dark thing. I was thinking about maybe not doing that because they had the press conferences, but there's really nothing to glean from any of those press conferences. I'll talk about it a little bit tomorrow, and then we'll just get into the calls, but just kind of giving you a heads up on the plan. Again, I'm doing that because I want to try to get caught up. We, as of right now, have 26 calls. I might be able to get through like six of them, so we'll see. But you guys have a good night. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. 